Facebook podcast, a podcast exploring stories of murder, mystery and suspense. I'm your host today. My name is Bridget and I'm, as always, here with my co-host James. Hello. Uh, So today we've got another Agatha Christie story to talk about. So uh, shall we do a synopsis before we say what it is? Okay, sure. Just a quick notice, we've got spoilers from here on in, so watch your step. Captain Hastings has just returned to England from South America when he decides to call on his good friend Hercule Poirot. The pair reunite happily, but the mood takes a sinister turn when Poirot reveals to Hastings that he has received an anonymous letter from a mysterious ABC, warning of trouble in Andover. The next day, sure enough, the pair are horrified to learn of the brutal murder of Mrs. Asher, an Andover shopkeeper. It isn't long before Poirot receives a second letter, which warns of an impending murder in Bexhill on Sea. The second of ABC's victims is Betty Barnard a flirtatious waitress who is strangled to death on the beach with her own belt. A third letter leads Poirot, Hastings and the Scotland Yard police force to Churston, a small village in Devon. However, this time the letter arrives late after being addressed incorrectly, and this means that their hopes of preventing the murder are dashed. By the time the letter arrives, the murder has already taken place. The third victim is the wealthy Sir Carmichael Clarke, who is killed by a blow to the head during his daily walk. It seems that Poirot has been drawn into a terrifying game with the serial killer ABC, who kills his victims in alphabetical order. Alice Asher in Andover, Betty Barnard in Bexhill, and Carmichael Clarke in Treston. Aside from the alphabetical theme, though, all the victims seem to be completely unrelated, and they are all murdered in different ways. Even more strangely, an ABC railway guide is found beside each of the murder victims. What can it all mean? To shed light on the mystery, Poirot gathers the victim's loved ones to discuss the perplexing case. It isn't long, though, before a fourth letter arrives warning of a murder in Doncaster on race day. The police try to intervene to stop the murderer, posting as many men as they can around the race course. But the plan is unsuccessful. To everyone's surprise, the murderer strikes at a local cinema, stabbing a sleeping audience member on his way out of the auditorium. This time, the victim's name does not begin with D, but, since a Mr. Downs was sitting close by, it is assumed that ABC has simply made his first major error. Following a tip-off, the police begin to focus their attention on a Mr. Alexander Bonaparte Cust, a loner and World War I veteran who struggles with headaches and seizures. In fact, nobody is more sure of his guilt than Cust himself, who hands himself into the police. But is Cust really the murderer? Or is the case more complex than it seems? Poirot must examine the facts of the case and the psychology of the murderer to uncover the true identity of ABC. Right. Yeah, so as we said earlier, um, spoiler alert, and obviously the, the book is ABC from now yeah. on. Yeah, so we'll be talking about We're everything in this book. Talking about the ABC murders by yeah. Agatha Christie. Yeah, not just ABC. The Jackson 5's favourite <laughs> murder mystery novel. It is indeed. Um, um, do you want to explain 
what happened yes. with all this. This is since this is mystery my job on the podcast, I will do the explanation of it. Right. So this is the basically outcome of the book. Cust is not the killer. Dun 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 shock horror. The real killer is Franklin Clark. Um so because there's so many characters in this, we didn't introduce you to them all. But um he is just the younger brother of Sir Carmichael Clark, who's the third of the ABC victims. The motive for him is basically just money. Um, Sir Carmichael Clark's wife is gravely ill. And Franklin Clark suspects that if she dies, Sir Carmichael might marry his younger secretary, Thora Gray, thus scuppering Franklin's chances of inheriting his brother's fortune. Nightmare. I know, right? Mm. Franklin Clark planned the whole thing after a chance meeting with um, Bonaparte Al- Alexander Bonaparte Cust over a game of dominoes. So he was inspired by Cust's alphabetical initials and his obvious suggestibility and vulnerability, and he devised a plan to frame Cust for the murder of his brother. So the plan, which is very complicated and extreme, involves disguising the crucial murder, the murder of Sir Carmichael Clark, amongst a series of other murders, thus making it very difficult to discern the motive for the crime and the significance of the victims. The other victims were chosen simply because of their alphabetical names so that the focus was on the the ABC guide found at the scenes, the anonymous letters from ABC and the strange alphabetical sequence of the murders. And these are all just simply distractions designed to deflect attention away from a premeditated, deliberate murder of a very specific person which is motivated by money and inheritance. Yeah, yeah. It's very clever. Very ambitious murder. It is very ambitious. Yeah. Franklin Clark plants the idea in Cust's mind that he will die on the scaffold. Um, he then writes letters to Cust, posing as a wholesaler and offering him work as a door-to-door stocking salesman. Apparently, at this time, the done thing was if you wanted to make money, you go around houses selling silk stockings yeah. to women. I think that's kind of just one of the things. It's implied that there's sort of few yeah. It seems of like things. they expect it, like it's a normal thing that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, I suppose it's a bit like an Avon lady. Mm. Um. Inside, so he posts out these boxes of stockings to Cust. Inside some of the boxes, he plants ABC guides. He also types out each of the ABC letters to Poirot prior to the crime and posts the typewriter to Cust, knowing that the police will be able to link the typewriter to the letters. He then sends Cust to the location of each murder with a list of customers to call on, which includes the murder victims. The aim is to place Cust at the scene of each crime. Because of the th- because the third murder is so much more important to Clark than the others, he obviously ad- wants to make sure he can carry out, so he addresses the third letter incorrectly so that it's delayed in the post and is delivered to Poirot late after the crime has been safely committed so that there's no interference in the trust and murder. At Doncaster, Clark does not bother with the plan. Instead, he simply follows Cust around. When Cust goes to the cinema, he follows him in and decides to stab an audience member as he leaves placing the knife into Cust's pockets as he passes him in the dark. He does not attempt to target anyone with a D name, he just assumes that it will be taken as a mistake, since there's likely to be a person whose name begins with D somewhere in the audience anyway. At this point, Cust is becoming paranoid and unwell, and he starts to suspect that he's carrying out the murders without realising, since he sometimes suffers from temporary amnesia. Although Cust seems a plausible murderer, Poirot is sceptical given that his psychology is at odds with the facts of the case. He does not seem to have the intelligence or gumption to write the anonymous letters and it does not seem likely that he would be able to charm the young and attractive Betty Barnard onto the beach at Bexhill. 
When a witness comes forward providing a solid alibi for Cust on the night of Beck's Hill murder, Poirot becomes more convinced that he must be the wrong man. Using psychological profiling, Poirot is it's like psychological profiling. Yeah, deduction. Using the concept of psychology, mm. I guess, in general, Poirot reveals that the more plausible perpetrator is Franklin Clark, who has a temperament needed to carry out the crimes and who stands to gain the most from the murders. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so um, this is obviously the ABC murders, which mm-hmm. is uh, obviously a story by Agatha Christie, um, and it was published in 1936. Okay, so, you know. Early, but yeah. not the first ones. Yeah, not she'd the... got going by this point, but... Yeah, it got very positive reviews in the press at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's still one of the most famous it's uh, definitely... titles in her yeah. um, catalogue. We can talk about that, but like, because obviously we'll give our opinions on it. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly one that seems to have a bit of a. It's it's definitely one people like, isn't it? Yeah. We can talk about it, but I think it's got like a sort of slightly. It's got yeah, some good so. ideas behind yeah. it for sure. Um, it's just taken us like way longer than normal to like explain the plot and stuff because I realised that. It's a bit different from a normal Agatha Christie. Yeah, as you should be able to sense from the synopsis and the explanation. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very different. Yeah, it's not a traditional um, detective mystery no. that's in an enclosed no. setting with no. a solid uh, cast of characters introduced at the beginning. Yeah, it's, it's just quite we, different. We uh, travel around England, um, meet people as we go along. Yeah. It's... You're kind of told... In, that it's this cussed guy from pretty early on because you see are you yeah you see passages from his point of view oh, yeah. at the beginning and it's yeah. obvious that you're supposed to yeah you're supposed to have him. suspicions about him early on um yeah. i've got my copy here that i um recently acquired and um it's pan the publisher yes. and it's i don't know when it's from but it has a really cool cover, I think, with... <laughs> yeah, you like it. I like it. I was really... It really appealed to me. Um, so this... Yeah, this is from the 1970s, I think. There's a picture on the front of a ABC railway guide yes. with a dagger. Yes, a dagger stuck through it. A dagger stuck through it. Yeah. I don't think this is the sort of dagger that Franklin Clark used to If you to actually kill. look at it um, as well, the perspective is a bit strange. Oh, the perspective's horrendous. <laughs> But yeah, it's much more elaborate than the dagger that Franklin Clark will have used to kill the random man in the cinema and then slipped into custody. Yeah, pocket. yeah, it's not that kind of dagger at yeah. all. Yeah. Maybe it was, who knows? Maybe it was like an ornate dagger that was stabbed, yeah. we used to stab like Roger Ackroyd or something. Yeah, it's yeah. much more that sort of thing. You get the idea. It's a nice cover. Yeah, it's mainly that the perspective is The perspective so is whack. weird. It looks like they've literally got a picture of a dagger cut around it on I a think piece of have. paper and like cut half of it and then just like well like, I think they have because you couldn't stab through a thick book like that like it wouldn't be possible look do you know what I never noticed that until today so it can't be doing that much wrong anyway so because this is another Hastings one I thought we could start by talking about Hastings yeah yeah that's, that's and we love that. Hastings so this is where we start yeah uh he's not his, quite his usual buffoonish self in this one he's, he seems to he's have mellowed bit, yeah well yeah and just I think it's a bit less stupid. Do you think they're like it's maybe because he's been in South America for ten years, or he's he's been married? Yeah. Like he's yeah, I think he's a bit he's older mellowed. And wiser, isn't he's he? mellowed a bit, you know, in his middle age. So he's been in Argentina, I think. Yeah, for some period of time. For a while, and um, he's decided to come home. 
Yeah, he has come back because of the depression and he has to sort out his financial affairs in England. Yeah, so Hastings tells the story in this one. So it's classic Hastings narration. Yeah, with some additional stuff in. Right, so he's telling everything first person and then you'll get the odd chapter where it'll say, not from Hastings' personal narrative, Captain Hastings' personal narrative. Yeah, and it's just the bits from ABC's perspective. Well, it's from Cust's perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Whose initials are ABC. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, okay, I suppose he's not the real ABC. But it's yeah. the things from Cust's it enables Because Cust is on his own. I thought it was a bit silly to begin with, because I thought it should all be from his first-person narration. But then uh, towards the end, I think you, it's explained to you that he has written it down himself, and he's used poetic license, he says, to imagine what is happening in the segments where... He says that at the beginning. Does he? Yeah, okay, so yeah. Okay, right. So... I think it's actually quite good. Oh, yeah. Because he's, yeah, like, saying fine. there's a bit where Poirot, like, interviews Cust, and it's quite a good bit, and it's in third person, obviously, because Hastings is not there. Um, but he's, like, saying, I did my best to, like, imagine what it would be like, and I've heard it all from Poirot, so I can make a good assessment and stuff. Um, yeah, so I think that's quite interesting, quite creative. Um, I also think Hastings is just way less ridiculous. Like, he's way less stupid in this one. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. he doesn't have any... Hastings he doesn't do anything really, really stupid. Spoils some evidence or anything. Yeah. yeah. He's just not as, yeah, buffoonish, I guess. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about Hastings? No, not in particular. I mean, there's a lot of um, banter in this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they seem to spend about a third of the word counts in the first half of the book talking about how Hastings is losing his hair. Yeah, um, yeah. And Hastings talks they about talk his a lot. over. They talk a lot about how they're all getting old for yeah. some reason. I guess because it's 10 years since, like, Roger Ackroyd, so it must be, like, even older. So I don't know when Styles came out. But it's, like, yeah. it's a long time that this series has been going on now, so they're all talking about how old they're all getting. Yeah. Poirot is using hair dye to keep himself looking younger. Yeah, yeah, this is all um, uh, <laughs> to do with the ageing stuff. Yeah. Um, they really talk quite a lot about this at the yeah. beginning. It keeps coming up. It's very, like, it's obviously something we want to talk about in this yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, for some reason. Um, Jap's in it. Yeah, ja- he's in it a fair amount. Yeah, although they clearly really want to keep him out of the adaptations. Um, oh, no, sorry, Chrome was written out of the adaptation yeah. we watched. Yeah, because they can't have, like, millions of police officers and they're all different. With Suchet. Yeah. And then there was a recent one, which we'll talk about later, which didn't have Jap in. Um, the main policeman in this one is Inspector Chrome. Yeah, who is, like, very different from Jap. Because he's, yeah. like... He's an up-and-coming yeah. police officer. He's snooty. He's very arrogant. Yeah. Because he's had some successes early on in his career. Yeah, Hastings takes an immediate dislike to him. Yeah. Which is quite a Hastings I think move. he sees himself as a new broom. Yeah. He doesn't like the He's, older. like, young and successful. And yeah. it says he talks... Hastings thinks he talks to Poirot in a patronising um, well, public school way, he There's says. loads of instances of him being outwardly yeah. rude. I feel like he doesn't trust him to, like, do no, as well doesn't. and stuff. Um, yeah, so Inspector Chrome is an interesting new one. He's definitely, like... And he's like a flashy new guy, isn't he? He's the most irritating policeman in one that I've read, mm. for sure. I've read this more recently than you, haven't I? I yeah. have, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, listened to it as well after I'd read it. And it's weird because I've almost... And we watched the adaptation. And I've almost, like, forgotten it. it like, it's funny, I don't, I'm not finding this one particularly memorable. Well, it's not one that you really have to concentrate yeah. on in the same way as with the others. Because normally because it's such a puzzle, 
Everything yeah. ties into itself, so you're really concentrating. So with this one, you just sort of go along for the ride, and then you get told what happened at it's, the end. It's really weird, because I, I usually feel I remember them really well, and actually, like, since Christmas, I've read it physically, the book, mm-hmm. I've listened to the audio book, so that I could, like, make some notes for this, mm-hmm. and we watched it. And yeah. it's funny, but it's like, it's like I can't grasp onto this one. Yeah, well... Yeah, I, th- I guess we'll talk about our opinions of it later. Yeah. Um... Hastings in the first chapter, you know, he's he's not really buffoonish, like you say, but he is a little bit thick. Like they sort of come in and play the hits a bit. Hence this stuff about the dying hair, hair falling out, all of that. Yeah, sort of stuff. yeah, and then they they, they talk... joke around about ordering a murder off the menu. Oh yeah, I remember that. Hastings um, Poirot explains this letter, anonymous letter he's received, saying there's going to be something bad happening in Andover. And Hastings is like, well, if there's a jolly big robbery in Andover, then you're going to be feeling a bit silly, aren't you? Mm. And and Poirot's like, it is not the robbery that I am afraid of. <laughs> what are you afraid of, Poirot? <laughs> yeah, he's like, what? It's like it's not the the murder. It's it's not the, a robbery. It's a murder. And and Hastings is like, <gasps> and it's murder. like. <laughs> That's all you do together. Yeah, I know. It's murder. It's crazy. So I don't know how you forgot about that, but um, yeah, it's, it's all good. Been talking about it's how you want to murder. Fun. It's banter. That's right at the end of the chapter as well. So it's like, <gasps> yeah, yeah. Do you think the quality of the banter is? What, what do you? Think? I think it's extremely low. It is at times. It's quite excruciating. Really low, I like. Say. But yeah, um, yeah. It's a bit forced. Mm. But I, I quite like. The banter. Yeah, you know. it's it's nice to have another one from Hastings' perspective because it it does lighten light, the mood of yeah. them. We um, like how light they are when we have Hastings, and it's like so. It depends what you want to read a book for, doesn't it? Like I was saying to you yesterday, right? I'm currently reading P.G. Woodhouse, mm-hmm. and it's like such a pleasure to read. Like it's just enjoyable. Like I don't yeah, care yeah. that it's like a bit easy and stuff. Like I don't have to think. But like with with ABC, like it's a Poirot, but it's also like a really like yeah. silly one. But so you, you don't want them all to be the same. No, and like you can really switch off and just be like, oh, I know these characters. Like I know what they're like. They're all mm. having a bit of a laugh together, and 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 that's quite nice. Like yeah, I that's agree. What, I guess that's what the audience wanted. I, um, I think just some of the like real jokes are maybe a bit forced. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't think it's maybe Agatha Christie's like strongest point is <laughs> no. <laughs> actual you know um quips mm. um <laughs> but she has other strengths so that's what that's yeah, what's good about I mean, it doesn't matter you know, really. everyone has strengths and stuff so poirot is um this is something i'm really pleased about poirot is just not as rude and disrespectful towards hastings as he usually is that is true yeah. it's like 10 years later and poirot's decided to not be yeah, I think maybe they've both grown up him. a bit. Yeah, yeah. Although they were like, I don't know, respectively Adults. like Adults. <laughs> in the sixties yeah. and forties, respectively, yeah, at that I point. Know. I know. Um but it's like he's not nasty anymore. I yeah. expect maybe I feel like maybe Agatha Christie's like um getting a bit used to the characters and like settled into them a bit more and that they're a bit more like beloved rather than just like always being taking shots at each other. Yeah, possibly. I also think that the fact that they're all going on about how they're getting old might be a sign that she's maybe thinking that this might be close to the end of the Poirot series. Yeah, that's definitely possible. Because Um, obviously it started, you know, 15 years before this or something. Yeah. And um, at that point, Poirot was old. Like, And then in 26, when we have Roger Ackroyd, Mm. he's like retired. 
So by this point, she's probably thinking, like, he's quite old now. Yeah. So maybe we... You know, and they, they even have a little joke at one point about um, Poirot getting... It's something like investigating his own murder or getting murdered. And, mm. like, Jap has a... Cracks a joke about, like, oh, Hastings could write the book of that. Yeah. And so it's like, maybe she's thinking, like, maybe I'm going to kill him off soon. I wondered yeah, about well, that. That didn't transpire in the end. <laughs> no. She's so still writing about but, him I mean, in the 1970s. We've talked about, we've talked about yeah. Poirot's age before on these yeah. podcasts. Yeah, but that could explain that. How he ends up living to, like, 150. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, but I think it's kind of an interesting question because um, I think a lot of the time in things like fiction, there is, like, people... I think maybe, is this, this like a modern thing or in the past too? I don't know. But people want things to have good continuity and, and stuff now. Mm. They want to yeah, like... continuity. In the, no. It's almost like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. I think they're episodic, really. Yeah, that she's sort of decided that it doesn't matter that they're not, they don't have yeah. good continuity. Yeah. There is no previous... Poirot book that affects the later ones. They just come and go as she feels. No, but I, I guess if you read it, you do you are aware that he's getting extremely old, like older yeah, than yeah. a human can get. <laughs> like it's not yeah. yeah. But it's it's interesting that it doesn't matter. So the first murder victim is Mrs. Alice Asher in Andover. What's <laughs> of AIDS? Yeah. So she yeah, poor old Mrs. Alice Asher. She's a working class woman, she owns a shop. Actually, yeah. what did she do before? She The shop Didn't is a she, new thing, isn't she it? She came into some money. Yeah, somehow. she decided to set up the shop. And the shop is a tobacconist. It only sells tobacco, doesn't it? I don't know. Or is know. it? No, I it, it sells little pamphlets that tell yeah. you what train to get on and stuff as well. It's like I a news agent, maybe. Yeah, it's bits and bobs. I'm not and really stuff, sure, to be and honest. tobacco, I think. And she has a dodgy husband. Mm. Who's a drunk. So her husband... Mm. So she has this German husband. And... Um, called Franz Asher. Mm. And he's basically just described as, like, a disreputable character. He's, like, going around drunk all the time. Yeah. Uh, and he beats her, yeah. He's violent, yeah. really violent by the sound of it. Yeah, I think he has been, but she's she's not scared of him. Like, she... You know, they talk about she's times really, that she's chucked him out Yeah, she's stuff. really, like... She doesn't like him. She calls him, yeah, like, I, my old devil and stuff. Yeah, I think she's tough, is the She's thing. tough, but, like, he's clearly like still in the picture and he's like really violent and stuff yeah yeah he's just a, a wild card isn't he because he's you know, he comes around and beats her up and stuff yeah. yeah um not a nice guy although he does come across quite funny and lovable in the, the tv adaptation yeah. well that's because when you meet him in the tv adaptation he's been arrested for this murder that he didn't do so you immediately are like oh poor man like <laughs> yeah. he's not done it you know yeah but um they're separated they're not they're not like living together or yeah. anything they're like he They've got rid of each other, basically. But Poirot doesn't really ever suspect him because she's killed by a blow to the back of the head, whereas if it was a domestic violence incident, he, thinks he would have she whacked her and she'd have been facing him. Yeah. That's kind of reasonable. Yeah, no, that's like, it it's makes very much sense. like she's being killed, she's facing backwards and she's stood at the counter, so it's like somebody's asked for, like, tobacco or something and she's are, turned around to get it. I think there are instances where he could have done, you know, he could have come in, argued, then pretended to calm down and be like, can you at least sell me a cigarette? She turns around, he hits me, and you have the money yeah. out the till or something. Yeah. But the yeah, money I mean, wasn't there taken are definitely, the till, like, so. I mean, Franz Asher could have been come around and been like, can you get me yeah. this from his wife? Yeah, yeah. You know? But nevertheless, I, it's I, a good, I think it's, 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 you know, it's it, it does make some sense. I also think Poirot's, like, reasonable in thinking that because he's got this 
really weird letter. Oh yeah, it's like a it's not from this random drunk guy, is yeah. it? Like, dear Herr Poirot. <laughs> like, why would a husband do that? It's not like a spontaneous yeah. killing of your I'm partner. I'm going to kill my Lieber, Mrs. Asher. Mm. Um, Mary Drower or Drewer. Drower. Drower. They say. Drower. I think Drewer. They said Drower. Drower. Yeah. Okay. Spelled D R O W E R. Yeah. Sorry. D R O W E R. So there's this Mary Drower, Drower, Drewer. She's the niece. Woman. The niece of. She's like a young Mrs. lady. Alice. She's in service. She works. Yeah, as she's a also maid. got quite a lot of gumption. Yeah, she's like. Um, she's like, aren't you? Didn't deserve to die like that. <laughs> yeah, she is a bit like that. Yeah. Um, she feels very strongly that somebody should do something about it. I think. Yes. Because she's sort of active, isn't she? Yeah. She goes around, like, trying to find out what's happened. Um, yeah, she's, like, Poirot's favourite of the Special Legion. Yeah. <laughs> we'll explain the Special Legion in yes. a bit. Okay. <laughs> right, so, yeah, Mary Drew... So, okay, well, let's just explain it now. Poirot gathers... The reason we're going to mention all these people is because Poirot gathers around him, like, a bunch of people he picks up along the way who were all, like, the Friends relatives and, relatives and the stuff victims. of yeah. the victims and partners of the victims and stuff um, in order to try and, like, find out more. We'll talk yeah. a bit about that. But, like, that's why... So he, he gathers around him, like, Mary Drower. Yeah, and Franklin Clark is like, we could be a special legion. Is it him who makes up the name? Of course it is. Yeah, it's kind of his MO, yeah. Yeah. making up names for clubs. Franklin <laughs> We're not there yet. We're not on yeah. him yet. Right, <laughs> B. Now we're on B. Yes. Betty B Barnard. is for Betty Barnard and in for Bex Hill Bex on Sea. Hill on sea. Yes. And she was killed on the beach. Yes. Which is also a B. Mm. Um do the people they have to have two names with the with the letter. Yeah. Yeah, that's really rare. It's just once he's yeah. killed but off his brother, he... he's like <laughs> done it now yeah he's just like really don't care anymore yeah. like but do you think because it would they say it would be common in, in um they get the guy called downs but his first name is r mm. robert i think it is isn't it but like it is it, they say it's common for someone to have the letter d at the end but it's like it's not common for people to have alliterative names like that's oh, extremely no, no. uncommon like off the top of my head i can't think of a single person i know who's delia got... derbyshire isn't that a person did i just invent that <laughs> i don't know Derbyshire, there's like a TV presenter called Victoria Yeah, Victoria Derbyshire, Derbyshire yeah, I know that. <laughs> look, just cut look, this and I'll look no it up one, afterwards. I can't... Uh, Vince Vaughan. Uh, Derek Dooley of Derek Dooley yes, Wave fame. Yes, um, if, if, if they got If they got all there's the way to Vince Vaughan, then the police <laughs> wouldn't be doing a very good job. Yeah, there's a few anyway. Let, let's just leave it at that, I yes. guess. Um, yeah, it's definitely not common. The reason it's not common, probably, is because it... To have a name like this because it well, sounds. Well, Betty Barnard is actually called Elizabeth. Elizabeth yeah, Barnard. that's her name is Elizabeth yeah. Barnard, and Alice Asher didn't start out like that. She's married into that. Indeed. Yeah. Um, Carmichael Clark is just taking the proverbial Mickey. Hello, he could I'm just be Car- Michael Clark. And he goes from I'm Car Clark. Yes. <laughs> Imagine being called Car Clark. Yeah. Anyway. Should we go back to Betty Barnard? So Betty Barnard, her main character trait is that she's flirtatious. Yeah, she likes to go on dates. She she likes men. dates. Well, you know, I guess she's a young girl and she likes getting Look, it's things. fine if she wants to go on dates, but she shouldn't have a boyfriend at she the same time. She has a steady boyfriend called yeah. Donald Fraser. It's not good behaviour. Um who I don't know why they're going out. 
He, they're, no, they're, they're not they. engaged, are they? Because no. the parents are like, oh, they kind of are engaged. It's mm. like... Because he's the steady boyfriend, yeah. so they're just like, yeah, they'll get married at some point. Yeah, they probably would have done, to be fair. Yeah. I suppose unless someone gave her a better offer, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but that didn't happen. He's a bit sappy. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's not got much to him. Apparently you can have a temper and be violent, but we don't ever actually see that. Oh, yeah, that. they do say that. He, he does occasionally like say that. things like, who the hell are you? They did have fights, didn't yeah. they? But yeah. we don't see any evidence of it. Yeah, but well, I'm sure they did. Um, and she has a sister called Megan Barnard. Yeah, who's also quite pugilistic. What's that? Fighty. Fight- She's got a lot of fight in her. Yeah. Fighty, um, not feisty. Feisty. Um... But at this point, you've got Mary Drewer and Megan Barnard. They're both young women with dark hair. who and have caption. And their, their names begin with M. Yeah, so, it gets quite confusing. So I, was, so I was, like, getting a bit confused when I was reading this. Um, because it, it's a bit... They're very similar. They feel similar. But they're, they're not. Because, yeah. well, I mean, the other ones are made. These are, like, people who are, like, a bit more... They've got a higher, like, social status, aren't they? Than the Ashes. Slightly, yeah. They're, they're, you know, they're not they're badly like, off. Yeah. But they're, they're working class people. They're, yeah. You know, they just have a little house. And yeah. They live in a suburb, don't they? Like a new build, like put yeah, into yeah. your yeah. house. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, they live in a bungalow in the adaptation. Yeah. Right, so when they're in Bexhill, they go to the cafe, because she's a waitress, but Betty Barnard is a waitress. Yeah. So they go to this cafe. Is it called the Ginger Cat Cafe or something? Something like that. It's not a cat cafe. No. It's a, um, a normal Can you cafe. imagine how much Poirot would hate cat cafes? <laughs> you would never get Poirot in a cat cafe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know how... I don't know how Poirot feels about cat, uh, cats or <laughs> cat cafes. Um, he would not like He doesn't it. like dogs, does he? He doesn't, he doesn't like cats. Like, he just doesn't want to be interfered with. <laughs> yeah, so she works at this cafe and they go and interview the boss, mm-hmm. who doesn't have anything to say about Betty Barnard at all, no. really. Um, but they do find this girl who works there called Millie Higley. Yeah. And she's like Betty Barnard's enemy. Yeah, frenemy. Frenemy, Yeah. Um, for some reason. But the weird thing about Millie Higley is that Poirot is, like, really attracted to her. Oh, yeah. Or is he? Because when he, he, like, really flirts with her. Yeah. He, like, says you've got really good legs and ankles. Yeah, it's because she's curvy. Yeah, it's because she's... Poirot fancies the curvy ladies. He likes women to be curvy. It's in quite a lot of the books, isn't oh, yeah. it? Um, yeah. So that's the thing. I they don't really get anything out of that. It's though, strange because of, of when he says that to her, so she's like a waitress serving him, and I do think it's a bit seedy, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. Um, and then I thought he was doing it as like a plan. No, but, he, but he's, he's not. not. He's just yeah, he's just being that way. But he does also like tie up that compliment with like a general insult to English women, which is that they're all their legs are all bad. Yeah, because they're all skinny. Yeah, it's all around good behaviour. Yeah, (laughs) he's like, I like your legs because they're nice. Unlike all the other English women, yeah, whose legs are all too skinny. Yeah, Mm. right. So we're on to the sort of more important person now. Yeah. So this is Churston, which is a small village in uh, Devon. Near Torquay, I believe, right, okay. in the Tor Bay area. Okay. Um, Sir Carmichael Clark. 
who his friends and rallies call Car. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess that is what you call people who are called Carmichael. Well, I mean, you might call them Michael. Is Carmichael Mike. a first name? Clearly. I thought it was a surname. I don't know. Clearly it's a first name as well. So Carmichael Clark is a guy who's just rich. Do we know? He's a doctor, isn't he? That invented yeah. something and became really rich because of it. And then <laughs> Like just... a specific way of doing surgery or something. Yeah, and he just sacked I... it off and Honestly, became a collector of Chinese things. Don't don't quote us on that because I can't I think remember. that's what happened. Is it surgery? He's just a man who lives a life of leisure collecting yeah. Chinese artefacts. So make sure you patent something really important, I guess, in your career, and then you can live a life of luxury. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think he's but done something. But he gets something. murdered, so, you know. Yeah, and then you get murdered for your money, so. Yeah. He, um, he likes collecting yeah, Chinese pottery, and in order to acquire this pottery, he's decided, I'm going to send my little brother... Around the world getting it. Yeah, yeah, because so, his brother's like an adventurer. So it's, his brother likes, it's a win win situation. He likes travel. And in the book, he is just. So Franklin Clark, his little brother, his mm. little brother, it makes him sound like he's 10. Um, his younger, his brother. younger brother is probably more appropriate. His younger brother is a kind of. Like man of leisure, I guess. He's yeah. like, he likes travel, he's adventurous. He, he's described as like all like attractive and stuff, isn't he? Isn't yeah. He? Um, I just sort of. I think he just fancies himself a bit. He's like really, thing. really up himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so one thing that struck me about Franklin Clark was just how nice his lifestyle is because when um, Poirot asks what he was doing on the day of the murder, he's just like, oh, I just got up, did some fishing, caught mm. five fish, like. Slept in the hammock. Then I went, <laughs> had some lunch, it was Irish stew, slept in the hammock. Went and read a book by Enos. Mm, had a walk. <laughs> Did Wrote some letters, forgot to post them. It's like, wow, he's, mm. your life is really charmed. Yeah. Um, I guess that's why he wants to murder to keep it. Yeah. Four times. Yeah. I mean, the Enos bit thing apparently is like significant because it signifies a love of trains. Hint. <laughs> <laughs> a love of trains. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I missed it. Did you miss it? I yeah, because I didn't know that the railway the railway children was by. Yeah, I mean bit. it's not something I would have thought about. Have you read the railway children? No. Have you seen it? Probably once. Yeah, I think I've seen yeah. it, but it's it was I clearly was wasted on me. Like uh, maybe that should be my next book. Uh, so he's Pryor describes him as like being quite immature. Yeah. He's playful, he's like mischievous, he's like a little boy. Yeah. He hasn't grown up yet. Yeah, that's why he gets like fanciful notions like forming the special legion. Yeah, yeah, he likes things like that, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and he's very patronising, I think, to Poirot. Because he says that thing to Poirot, which I liked this exchange. I, yeah. I wouldn't want you getting the wrong impression. And mm. Poirot's like, don't worry. I never get the wrong impression about anyone. Yeah. I thought I quite um, like that exchange. He does get one over on Chrome, though, at one point. Just when like, Chrome is like, oh, we'll Chrome's... catch him in Doncaster, don't you worry. He's like, I see I'm not a sporting man, Inspector. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously the... Uh... So that's said to Chrome, because in the TV show he says it to... Which um, race is Jack. it that's on at Doncaster? The St. Ledger, they the call Saint it. The St. Ledger, I, I literally yes. don't know anything about it. It's the... a very famous is, race. I mean, I presume it's still... Yeah, 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 I, think so. I didn't realize that Doncaster was like a big race course. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe we have to cut this because it's going to be so embarrassing. Uh, but I, I'm not a, I'm not a sporting. Yeah, we're woman. not, we're not sporting men. We're not sporting men. 
for podcasting people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, yeah. Um, we have Thora Gray. Oh yeah. Who is a gold digger? Well, actually, before we move on, I just want to say about Franklin Clark. I really don't. I took a real disliking to him. Oh, I hate him. He's one like the most odious murderer I think in all of them. And in fact, he probably is one of the most evil murderers because he's happy to kill four people just to kill one. Yeah. Um, but we'll that's get not the point. That. You know, some murderers are entertaining in how evil they are. He's not. He's, he's just really pathetic and low and irritating. He's like you would hate to re- meet Carmichael. He's really Frank clearly, Clark. yeah. He's cre- Can you clearly. You imagine hanging out with him? It'd be a nightmare. He's awful. He's clearly really like insecure. Yeah, and, like, yeah. It's really annoying. And that's why I hate him more than any other murderer. Okay, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Do you not agree? I, I, because I can't sort of conjure up who the murderers are. Like, it's yeah, hard we for also me shouldn't to... say them. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, actually, I can think of one who's quite can... similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know which one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thora Gray is Carmichael Clark's secretary. Yeah. Um, she's all lovely and beautiful. Yeah, so they all fancy her. So Hastings we hear. fancies her. Hastings really fancies her. She's blonde. In the TV show, he keeps going like, I say, pleased to meet you. <laughs> So she's blonde and they keep going on about that. Um, she's a lovely girl. He says in this one again, he actually says in the book, I think. Yeah. What a lovely girl. Mm. Um, Hastings, you're married now. You I know, I was going to say, is he, like is he married at this Get point? Get a grip. Is he married at this point? Yeah. Yeah. His wife's just in Argentina tending to the cows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a cowgirl wife. Yeah. This French cowgirl yeah. wife. Just imagining her in like little denim shorts and cowboy boots, but that probably mm. wasn't what it was like. I'd find that highly yeah. unlikely. He's got this wife, and it's that woman he meets in, um, in Murder on the Links. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's just in England, just chatting. Oh, yeah, up. it's the one it's, from yeah, the it's double Yeah, it's the act. circus woman. Yeah, sorry, because I was getting confused <laughs> with the TV adaptation where they change her completely oh, into yeah, a much more serious different. person. Oh, yeah, I goodness. Prefer yeah. him to be with that really classy singer. Yeah, no, sorry, I forgot she was with the Tumblr. Yeah. Oh, God. She probably is a cowgirl. Yeah. Right, he went, okay. he went, he married, um, um, yeah, what is Cinderella. Gym, gymnastic. No, it's like, um, she calls herself Cinderella, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. But she's a twin, and she, yeah. in the partnership, she's like, um, in the double act, she's like, um, you say Tumblr, like, um, trapeze artist or something yeah. yeah it's kind of a weird match for Hastings like I totally forgot that because I keep thinking she's with the, the one in the yeah so he's, he's married to her she's off in South America just like tending to the cows and he's just like chatting up every woman he sees yeah 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 and going oh, what a lovely girl and Poirot keeps ribbing him because he apparently usually fancies auburn haired women and this yeah. one's blonde mm. and they sing um, a song about it do you remember they sing a song about it. Who do? Poirot and Hastings crack on joking about this song. It's like a song from the war about, like, I fancy a girl with blonde hair. You've forgotten that. <laughs> I've forgotten that completely. <laughs> yeah. I think I've possibly obliterated that from my memory. He, Poirot sings it in an abominable falsetto voice, it says. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's 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 just bants. Yeah. Constant bants. Yeah. Um, and then finally we have Lady Clark. Lady Clark is kind of at death's door. Yeah, but she's also the only adult in the room, really. Yes. she's. I like her. She's good. And she's really got it in for Thora Gray. 
Because Laura yeah, Gray is like going off with her husband because she's ill. To be fair, I think that is a bit more ambiguous than um, in the book than you might think. Is it? It's like, she is actually like legit, and it's not that yeah, she's, she's just there secretary. for the money. Yeah, yeah. but the the belief is that she will. I don't think she'd say no if it was yeah. Like, the belief is that married, if this but... happens... No, she's not having an affair with him. Oh, no, no. No, it's just that the belief is that he will go off with her if his but wife dies. I think dies. Lady Clark thinks that she is having an affair. I think Lady Clark thinks she's just biding her time, really. Right. Do you okay. not think? Well, I think well, Lady Clark attributes more yeah. malevolent intentions to her. Yeah, than she, she, she describes has. her as like a gold digger, doesn't she? Yeah. 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 And she also um, cracks open the case, sort of. Because Lady Clark saw her talking to Cust, the stocking salesman, which Thorad Gray genuinely forgot because he's so insignificant. Yeah, because he wouldn't. Like it's yeah. like if someone came to the door. Yeah, but that's how they get onto the trail of Cust. Yeah. Um, is it? Yeah. Ah. Okay. Because they're like, oh, we're looking for a stocking salesman. Yeah. I mean, that's really tough if you are Carm. Um, not Carm. If you're Franklin Clark and you do the whole like. The stocking salesman has to come to the door today, and it's mm. just like Thora Gray just forgot. Yeah. <laughs> you'd be like, "Oh no!" <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, "Are you sure you didn't meet anyone who might be selling something?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's many. They come stuff. round from time to time. Yeah, she just forgets. But um, after this meeting with Lady Clark, because Lady Clark is like going to die, and she's—I mm. don't know what's wrong. Does she have cancer. I don't know. She's ill. Yeah. Um. And they, I think they have her on morphine, don't they? Yeah, she's, like, drugged up to the eyeballs. Yeah, so she's not well at all. It's kind of, like, insinuated that she's sort of drifting in and out of lucidity. Yeah, yeah, it's not, she's not well at all. Yeah. Um, and um, what happens is that when they come out, um, Hastings is, like, so offended that she insulted Tora Grey. Yeah. And he's like, oh, young, beautiful women have it so hard. <laughs> And Poirot just puts a stop to that, and he's like, yeah. I have more sympathy with elderly, ill women. Yeah. Because Poirot is the true gentleman. Yes. And Hastings is very um, impression. He's very, like... He's impulsive. Yeah, he's he very, like, impressionable. He doesn't question things, does he? No, he doesn't think about anything properly, really. No. Like, he just goes, oh, I like young, beautiful women. They're so hard done by, and it's <laughs> like... He never he, wants to admit that they might have done the murder. No, yeah, he, yeah, he's got a problem with that, I think. Okay, so ABC. Yes. ABC is the mysterious murderer. I, I thought we should maybe just treat him as, like, a character, I guess. Because for the, the, the novel, you don't really know who this person is, and they seem to have, like, a personality and stuff. Yeah, so what do you think about him? Well, the letters really crack me up. Just the way they're written is really funny. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they're just funny because they're just like i'm getting bored with having everything my way poirot yeah you think you're so good think you're better than our english police officers and stuff mm. like he's he believes poirot believes that the letter writer maybe it's xenophobic because yes. um he keeps mentioning that poirot is not as good as the english police or mm. he he thinks he is Poirot's right though because it is like kind of in the tone of the letter yeah yes yeah, yeah. condescending yeah and the, the tone is really like that kind of overconfident like you imagine like a pantomime villain or like a yeah a yeah. movie well villain. it's franklin clark trying to pretend to be mad <laughs> yeah, yeah because he, they realize pretty early on there's quite a lot of discussion of madness and stuff yeah. and 
they all just the reason they talk about it is I, I guess the thing is that the idea of the serial killer is like a phenomenon which is in the mind of everyone mm. I don't know when did they have like Jack the Ripper and stuff oh that way late before this. yeah yeah of? 19th century but it's a thing that people are starting to think about is is a real yeah, thing yeah. and that it's like different from another murder because it's um they they perceive it as very random and and senseless and chaotic like it's not something you can contain mm. you know the police like Jap Hastings everybody sees it as like a random um arbitrary um motiveless like it's not really yeah. the same as other murders. So Poirot is really the only... I mean, obviously because he's the genius one, but he's really the only character that keeps the the murder mystery like rooted in a, in a sense that there's a way of solving it because he believes that it's not senseless. Yes. Which I think is reasonable because it would make no sense for it. Yeah, to the police are sort of going around thinking they'll catch the killer red-handed yeah because they'll foil a, an attempt to murder yeah. someone whereas Poirot is a psychological profile yeah like he thinks that there's and he sees pretty early on doesn't he that this is not a person who's like chaotic and senseless and stuff and homicidal yeah, yeah. he believes that it's somebody pretending to seem like that in an order to sort of get yeah. away with it almost mm. which is quite an interesting idea yeah how does he figure that out is it just that the tone of a letter is ridiculous? yeah I think it's just that it, you know but everything else about it, is, I, I can't remember. I, I don't remember. It is a strange idea, though. That it's a strange idea that the, that they believe. I don't know if this was believed at the time, but that there is a class of murderer who just goes around killing for no reason at all. Yeah, I, I don't. That's a strange idea. I don't think people really think that now. No. No, I mean most serial, a lot of serial killing things are linked to like sexual violence and that sort of stuff. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, not, it's not like some... for no reason. Yeah, and and the the fact of it is, in my opinion, the immediately if if you knew about this in real life, you'd be like, this doesn't make any sense. All these victims are totally different. Mm. And the weirdest thing to me is that they're all killed in different ways. Like even for Franklin Clark, it's weird that he chooses different methods. Yeah, yeah. I um, suppose he thinks what's going to be easiest in there's that two context. that are hit over the head. Yeah. He, he, Why he hits Carmack or Clark over the head, I don't know. Like he's on a walk. Like why not just shove him over a cliff? Yeah, or you could shoot him. Yeah, you could do anything. It's, it's just so ridiculous what he does. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's implausible to me that even Franklin Clark would do that. Like yeah. why why would you choose totally different ways to do it? I mean the strangling is just unbelievable. Well, I think that's because he's he is like a misogynist and right. Yeah, it's like oh. a it's a very sexual murder. Yeah, well, I know it's dark. Partners. Yeah, it's he's dark. Got, he's got a thing about women. Well, in the show, they made it look like she was actually like removing her clothes or something. Yeah, when well, I guess happening. that's what would be happening. Yeah, but... yeah, because he's on the beach with her and she's like removing her belt and stuff yeah, yeah. and handing it over. Mm. Yeah, it's really dark actually. Yeah, and the important <clears throat> thing as well, I think about the book and the letters is you get a sense of like Poirot meeting his adversary oh well there's lots that are like that he's meeting his he's meeting his um adversary yeah he's meeting his he's meeting enemy. his maker <laughs> <laughs> he's meeting his um nemesis nemesis that's the one his nemesis i get a mm. sense that everyone wants it to be like abc's poirot's nemesis and here mm. he is meeting him for the first ever time yeah but yeah 
It's all it's really silly. Franklin Clark is not Poirot's nemesis. <laughs> he's not clever enough. No, no, he's, uh, not, he's not a Moriarty figure, is he? Oh God, no, no. The Napoleon of crime, but we have our own Napoleon here. Yes. Alexander Bonaparte Cust. Mm. Now, when we recorded, believe it or not, that segue was not planned. <laughs> It wasn't, um, but here we are. Anyway, when we read out, uh, well, when we were reading the synopsis to you at the beginning of the show, it sound probably sounded perfect to you, but we actually had to do about five million takes because every time I got to the name Alexander Bonaparte, Cust, I started uncontrollably losing it because yeah, well, poor <laughs> Cust has had to deal with this his whole life, and yeah, it's why he's so depressed and lonely. So he's been given this name that he finds a burden, really. It would be a burden. Yeah. I guess Alexander is quite a common name now, but Bonaparte. maybe it wouldn't have been at the time. You could pretend that your middle name is not Bonaparte. You could just not yeah, tell not anyone. Yeah, not tell people, yeah. But I guess, you know, people would find that out at school and you, oh. you could get bullied for it. Which is what happens to yeah. poor old Cust. So Cust's main trait is that he's very suggestible. Yeah, I mean, he's just a bit pathetic and rubbish, isn't he? He thinks he's guilty, like, because he's so anxious about it. Look, yeah. I think that Cust's the best thing about this novel. He's good. Yeah, I like yeah. him. Um, he's a fun character. He's good. Um, he's a well-drawn, proper character. Yeah, so yeah. for everyone who um, says Agatha Christie is not good at writing characters, well, Alexander Bonaparte, Cust, he, he only, he's in the book, but he only really gets to speak for about three or four pages to Poirot at the end. But it is good when he does. And that's like the best bit of the book because yeah. he's a really believable character, like an interesting dynamic and somebody that you could really imagine how this person's got to this place. I like when he panics and goes on the run. I know. For like five minutes. So he has, all this is happening to him and you've got to imagine that he's... It you like know, builds it's and a builds it's, very quickly because initially he doesn't... Yeah think about it as being anything to do with him and then is it by chance and he starts to think this is linked to so me so he's sent to he believes he's a stocking salesman like he's sent to all these places <laughs> and every fake. every time he gets to the place afterwards there's a murder there right and he yeah. doesn't think anything of this until it starts to happen again and again yeah. and then finally he goes to Doncaster I mean he doesn't want to go to Doncaster because he knows that because that's when they've revealed early that the yeah, murder's yeah. going to happen in Doncaster he thinks he's doing he, he, he he's doing the he's murders doing and not realising it and then and he's that if he goes to Doncaster he'll get caught he believes that he'll that the murderer is him and, and he's being summoned to Doncaster to sell these stockings but the murder's going to happen in Doncaster, mm-hmm. like because the police have announced that that's where the murder will be, and he's in this. He sort of like he kind of follows his fate. He sort of goes yeah. there because this is okay. This is where I go, and then he finds himself with the knife and the bl- the bloody knife in his pocket. Yeah, and he freaks it, out. Yeah, I mean it's as you would do. It's to be a fair. complete nightmare. Yeah, yeah. And the poor man's already like suffering from like issues with seizures and stuff. So yeah. he's like not always sure what he's doing mm. and then obviously this I, I guess the guy Clark he realises that he's like I mean he's he's anxious and impressionable and, and even has a condition that you could put down to bouts of um, like black amnesia and stuff, and yeah. stuff yeah um yeah, but he's, he, has, he actually is clearly like quite personable because yeah, the people, people that he like lives him. with like him Mm. Yeah, they all feel sorry for him. They um, they can't believe it's that he's the murderer because they're like, yeah. oh, he seems nice and gentle. Yeah. Um, Poor Mister Cass. I suppose that's why Clark went 
to such lengths to make out that the guy's mad because, you know, he has to mm. make this guy seem like he could have done it and the only way is to make him seem like he's totally out of his mind, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, which he basically is by the end. You, yeah, because obviously he, he walks it gets to the worse. police station yeah. and passes out. <laughs> the, um, the issues with his mental health obviously get a lot worse because he thinks he's committing all these murders yeah, without realising, yeah. so it's like, it's obviously not going well for him. Um, but I it's like... It's a case of gaslighting. Yeah, it's kind of like that, I guess, yeah. 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 It's worse than gaslighting. Oh, yeah, well, it's, like, it's like... It's a case of it's gaslighting where you're gaslighting someone into thinking well, that they're a serial killer, which When Poirot yeah, speaks to him, Cust believes that he is, um, like, the victim of a wide conspiracy. It's quite a weird him. thing to read, because he's like... I killed all those people, but I can't have killed the one know, in Bexhill yeah. because I was I with know. the man playing dominoes. And I it's didn't quite write sad, the letters. It's isn't it? Like, yeah, he doesn't understand how this yeah. could be happening, but he's like, I must have done it, yeah. but I don't know why. Like, and I don't... It's easy yeah. to see how someone in that situation could become so confused and stuff. Because yeah, yeah. um, he is experiencing, like, everyone's, like, almost worst nightmare, I suppose. Because hmm. he believes there's a conspiracy <laughs> against him. It happens over a relatively short period yeah. of time as well. So, you know, it, you could easily trigger like a transient, like psychotic episode based oh, on like yeah. that level of stress. Yeah, definitely. Um, I like the meeting he has with Clark over this game of dominoes. <laughs> it's it's great because, again, this is like two, two people meeting who are totally different and I get the sense... But as Clark, as Cust says, you can meet anyone over a game of dominoes. Yeah, because he really likes dominoes. There's a lot of play in dominoes. He says, there's a lot of play in dominoes. <laughs> a lot of play. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if there's a lot of play in dominoes, because it's something, again, I don't really know about. No, I'm no, sure I played it as a child, but can't really remember. I, look, I'm pretty sure that the dominoes that you play as a child, where you're just trying to get rid of your dominoes, is not, not proper, proper dominoes. dominoes. I think there is, like, scoring okay. and stuff. Okay, Um Well, you'd think, because they all go and play... He used to play dominoes when he worked in the city every yeah. lunchtime. Mm. Um, which sounds like a nice lunchtime. Yeah, just go and play dominoes. Yeah, yeah. Um, this guy, Clark, meets Cust, and he meets this guy with these strange names, mm. uh, with these very bombastic names, he says. Um, and he's inspired by this vulnerable, impressionable, suggestible man. He can see, because he's, you know, he's the opposite of Cust. He's, like, very confident, very self-assured. He's very yeah, good very, at... very dastardly. Good at manipulating people and stuff. Yeah. So he immediately sees an opportunity in this and he you know he's very sinister he like leans over the table and reads his palm oh yeah, yeah. and he says i see that you're gonna die on the scaffold yeah yeah but you're gonna be very famous gonna be very famous mm. yeah um when poirot speaks to cust he talks to him about his childhood yeah um and cust describes his mother being fond of him but she was very ambitious she gave him mm. all these names because she wanted him to amount to something and yeah. it seems as if the names have sort of been a bit of a problem for him yeah it's a monkey on his back yeah he's like struggled to live up to the names yeah apart from in the war which he enjoyed Yes, so he enjoyed the war. I enjoyed the war. So enjoying the war, we think, is a bit of a, an Agatha Christie trope. Yeah, yeah, there's a few people that enjoy the war. Of, there's a lot of discussion of people who enjoyed the war in Agatha Christie. Mm. 
But he, uh, even this is sad for Cuss because he gets like a blow to the head or some traumatic yeah. incident. Yeah, like shell shock from Gets the sent to the hospital and they find he's got epilepsy, so he gets sent <laughs> home early. Mm. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, he gets oh, sent okay. home early. Yeah, sorry, I've forgotten that. Before the end of the war. Um, he, um, in the Lucy Wesley documentary, she talked about like maybe Agatha enjoyed the war a bit. So it could be like partly mm. she was interested in that experience yeah, because yeah. certain people and she talks about women and men who enjoyed the war. Yeah, but Custer enjoyed the war because he he's like someone who feels well, it's because he's not actually useless. Like he actually yeah. is a relatively capable yeah, person. Yeah, he was treated as an equal during yeah, the war. Yeah, and you just get by on your merits. I guess he's um, just kind of a shy, lonely yeah, yeah. kind of person. Um, he had trouble at school because he was bullied. Yeah. Yeah. So he's had this kind of quite difficult life. He feels that he was not academically good and didn't mm. learn typing very quickly and stuff. So he sees himself as kind of um he sees himself as lacking intelligence and things, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um I think <laughs> the thing is it paints a really like believable picture of somebody who um, like lacks agency and stuff. Like he he's got mm. himself to a place mentally where he can't. He believes everyone's out to get him, doesn't he? Yeah, he's quite paranoid. So he can't really take control of his life because he he has a problem with like how he sees himself, lacking power and control of things. Yeah. Things just happen. And he can't. To he doesn't trust people either. Yeah, in his mind, things happen to him. Mm. He isn't. You know, he just things bad things happen. Yeah, to him. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I enjoy that bit. I thought it was great. Yeah. It's really... Suddenly the book took a turn for me and I was like, oh, this is actually really good writing and mm-hmm. really believable characters and a really interesting premise. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I want to talk about the crime. Yeah. As a whole. The or overall the, crime. The overall As perpetrated crime. by Franklin Clark. Yeah, yeah. The series of crimes, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So this is like classic Agatha Christie... Um, murdering in a way because often in her books it's about creating a pattern where there isn't a pattern Mm. in order to create the illusion that there is a pattern of events happening yeah and in this case it's like taking to extremes the pattern of events is (laughs) several murders yeah separate murders in different places um i mean this this murderer is like really ambitious because he's also just traveling around the country like yeah, I guess the point is the first couple like aren't really going to be taken that seriously, mm. and I think the first two like pe- the police obviously don't know what's going on really properly yeah. until the third one, mm. and the third one's planned so that they can't interfere with it. But yeah, he's hiding one murder again um, amongst many, which Poirot describes as like a pincushion method. Yeah, because where do you you notice a pin less if it's in a pincushion surrounded by lots of pins? think he says yeah so i have a question for you yes do you think do you think that franklin clark would have stopped after d probably <laughs> i think so or do you think <laughs> he's just gone and killed like 20 other people <laughs> you think you just keep going i have to <laughs> no i think Finished he would probably have alphabet. stopped after d when do you, where do you go for x nowhere so you have to stop I guess the question is, like, had he typed out all the letters? 
I'm going to say he hadn't, um, and that he'd <laughs> Did stop. He, was he going to have to go to, like, Xi'an in China <laughs> to kill someone <laughs> called someone Xavier? <laughs> I think that he probably just did up to D. Or maybe E. Maybe he was going to go to Eastbourne. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that would keep with the seaside theme yeah. as well. Well, it's not really. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. The answer is no, I don't think he would have carried on. <laughs> I think he was winging it with D anyway. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. D was just like a total afterthought. I mean, Yeah, quite... I guess at that point. It's suspicious. It, it is weird. I, I don't know why he's just like, I'm just going to kill a random person on this one. I love the Doncaster murder because it's just like such a major cop out and risk. If he's got to H, he could have killed Poirot and then. <laughs> <laughs> Where he we could just have send Poirot, Poirot to and Harrogate. Hastings. Yeah. Yeah, he could have sent them both to like Harrogate. Yeah. Yeah. I um it's I like the Doncaster murder. It's just so yeah. half hearted. Um and it's also really like risky. What he, so he's just like, I don't even know what I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna follow Custer. Yeah. <laughs> An opportunity for murder will arise. <laughs> and he's very point. lucky that he goes to the cinema, like a nice dark room with lots of yeah. people just minding their own business. Yeah, well Cust loves the cinema, he goes twice. <laughs> <laughs> what if Cust went to the races just unexpectedly? Like that would be a problem. Well, maybe. I should just kill someone if, in the yeah, races. Yeah, I think that would probably be easy. But yeah, can anything. you see how much of a risk this is? So yeah, anyway, um, the typewriter. He sends yes. the typewriter, but he's pre-arranged for... He's already done all the letters. Yeah. Um, They can trace the typewriter to yeah. the letters. Now, mm. I think I've come across this in another book. Yeah. I think what they do is they look at the stamps and like there will be imperfections in them so you can yeah, see yeah. what type yeah. it's very clever mm-hmm. um but this is like really early forensics mm. but also he was sent stockings and he was sent abc guides yeah apparently needs a typewriter to be a stocking salesman did you know what an abc was i did not no but i mean it's pretty it's obvious, obvious. yeah <laughs> I mean, i've never heard of it before it's not something i'm aware of yeah i guess now that we have the internet no one really needs a railway you don't guides. need an abc guide really I go on the National Rail app. Although, obviously, about 10 to 15 years ago, we all didn't use the <clears> internet for stuff like that, so we did need things like A to Zs and, yeah. you know, all those kind of things. Indeed. The letter going missing. Now, this yeah. is a very weird plot point because, I don't know, the letter goes missing because he's put Whitehorse Avenue, in, uh, sorry, Whitehorse Mansions instead of Whitehaven Mansions on the <laughs> On the Jeff address. Like, I'll delve into a bit of psychology, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> so they postulate that this may be because he's a whiskey drinker and there's a white horse whiskey. Yeah. The whiskey bottle. Well, you do psychology as well, you know, Poirot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bottle was on the table, he saw it and he wrote down the wrong word. Yeah. Well, Jap um, goes on about how the Scotland Yard gets letters like this all the time. Yeah. From uh, time wasters and yeah. such like. Um yeah, so the letter goes missing and then turns up conveniently after the murder's been committed so nobody can go and interfere with it. Mm-hmm. So this is like a tactic he uses, Clark uses. But my like issue with this potentially is that when a post in the letter in the post goes missing, you can't really guarantee that it will. Mm. And you also can't guarantee that it will take a certain amount of time to arrive. I guess he's you? just buying trying to buy himself some time. Yeah, it's can. a clever it's a clever idea. Yeah. I just feel like it could have taken weeks yeah, it's to quite arrive. Random. Or it could have taken no time at all to arrive because it could have just been bounced back at the yeah. door or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the whole the whole point is to create the illusion of a serial killer. Yeah. To create the idea that this is a senseless murder of random people, and that disguise is like a normal motive for murder, which mm. is money. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting because it, it it turns it into a serial killer novel. Yeah. Instead of a classic murder mystery, mm. which is uh, mm. you know totally different. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely different from the others. So the solving of the murder is done very much from the idea that the murderer must have a certain temperament. This is Poirot's, like, way of doing things, though, anyway, isn't it? Um, So it was planned, but it was designed to feel senseless and chaotic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Poirot, this is, like, the best type of murder, in my opinion, is the one that is described in the book as reckless, daring, and a thorough gambler. Like, I enjoy the ones where there's a bit of, like, this is a bit risky. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly takes risks. (laughs) This one's a risky guy, although he's not very nice, so I do... He's, like, not a very appealing guy, so I take points away for that, for sure. He's also a list maker. Poirot deduces that he's a list maker, because he Mm -hmm. likes cataloguing things. He likes alphabetical sequences and stuff. Yeah. And this is something which Poirot can relate to. Yeah. Because he's a bit that way inclined as well, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and also Poirot... So all these kind of characteristics are how Poirot solves this murder because he is able to profile the individual and he sees it in Franklin Clark. But he also um, sees that the the guy must have been confident picking up girls because Betty Barnard was out on the beach. She was clearly like with somebody that she trusted or was organised to meet because she was taking off her belt and handing it over. Yeah, yeah. um, Is what Poirot deduces. So it's like clear that he's not... Well, Poirot thinks that it can't be cursed because he can't see cursed. Yeah, just going into a cafe and picking up a waitress. No, no, it's not going to happen. Asking her out to the beach, like, and um, also he he thinks that the tone of the letters is not cursed. No, I mean, there's no way it is. Cursed doesn't have that like intelligence and like gumption and stuff. Like yeah, the, he's also not just like a nasty person that wants to play with. Yeah, people. he's not. He doesn't have like the wherewithal. He doesn't have the motive. Like, why would he do this? Yeah, he just doesn't seem like he's vindictive or anything. No. So, um, in a sense, Cust's weaknesses actually play in his favor a bit. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> Way too late. Because by the end, like this, the death count in the book is high. You know, because yeah. we've got people dead all over the place, and it's like it's just so mm-hmm. late to solve it. But mm-hmm. there you go. Um, to be fair, I think that to just absolve the police of too much responsibility, this is like a weird crime that has never happened before. So I suppose it's kind of reasonable that they didn't know what to do. You can't yeah, just like know. go to Bex Hill and like stop anyone from getting murdered. It's just not possible. No, well, as they say, it's the holiday season. Yeah. You know. Um, Poirot's approach. Yeah, it's an interesting um few things that he gets so, up to in this. Yeah, one. I mean, he does that profiling of the crime, but he also has all these like. Things that he wants this special legion to do. I think some of these are a little bit red herring to because what he's really doing is keeping an eye on everyone in the special legion and thinking yeah, about he's, things. Yeah, he's actually like getting information about the special legion. Yeah. But he sends them on like little tasks and errands. stuff. Errands. Yeah, he sends them on little missions. And one of them is he just says he wants Megan Barnard to go into the cafe and pick a fight with Millie Higley, which I just thought was quite funny. Yeah. Yeah. You just like Strange go in there and just start kicking, kicking off. off about how she didn't like your sister. Yeah. 
And then he wants Donald Fraser to go and flirt with her. Yeah, he wants Donald Fraser to go and, and try Donald and Fraser get off is with like, her. I don't know how to do that. He's so like, I don't want Franklin to do Clark that. Franklin Clark is like, I'll do the flirting. Franklin Clark is leave ob- any flirting to me. Franklin Clark is obnoxious at that point. Yeah, but he's a nasty guy. He is. He's horrible. Yeah, um, you had an issue with some of Poirot's um, assumptions about probability and. Yeah, he has a bit of a gambler's fallacy moment. He does. Yeah. Saying that if a ball is always landing on red, that means it will land on black. Yeah, in the roulette that's, wheel. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, that's a strange one. It's just 50-50 each time. Yeah, so the whole thing revolves around this idea, like the the, the way that Cus brought into it is through this idea of suggestibility. Mm-hmm. I think Agatha Christie is very interested in that idea. It comes up in quite a few of them. Yeah, yeah. This one, it's really, like, the, the crux of the whole thing, though. Yeah, yeah. Do you believe that some people are suggestible? What I don't believe is that Franklin Clark could serendipitously meet this man and form the plan and execute it the way he does. I think, yeah. if, he, I think if he had a longer-term relationship with Custs for some reason, yeah. or anyone who was manipulable, could yeah. be kind of um, yeah, I think so. I think believable. It's I think probably it's true pretty... that some people are, like, maybe a bit more inclined to go along with things that they're It's not just that he's inclined to go along with things, it's the fact that he's also got like epilepsy and is like, yeah, yeah. that could easily have happened in one of my two hour blackouts. Yeah, and, and people sometimes if somebody's being treated very poorly, it makes them very frightened mm. of everything, so yeah. it can potentially be used against them. Yeah. He believes, I mean the weird awkward thing is that at the end he's like, everyone's against me, there's a conspiracy against me, and it's like he's right, like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because he seems paranoid and, and a little bit, like, unstable, but he's actually correct, like, there is a conspiracy mm-hmm. against him. Mm-hmm. It is just this Franklin Clark guy. Yeah. Um, we, like an, we like an Agatha Christie that ends with a dramatic scene. Mm-hmm. And this one ends with um, Franklin Clark when he's, like, unmasked. Yeah. He, like, gets his pistol out of his pocket of his coat and tries to shoot himself. But it just, it doesn't shoot because... There's no bullets. Poirot's had the bullets taken out. And Poirot says he got a, he, he got his butler is actually an expert sneak thief, he says. And the expert sneak thief took the gun and took all the bullets out and then put it back. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very exciting. Yeah. It's nearly as exciting as the ending in the adaptation. Yeah, so in in the Dunumont scene, in the adaptation... They're back in Bexhill. Yeah, because... The, For some reason. Well, the reason is because Bexhill has a really nice building. Yeah. So that that's, that's the only reason, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Bexhill has, like, a really nice pavilion building. Yeah. It's like an art deco... I don't know if it's art deco, Apparently but with a cinema in it. It's like a 30s beautiful building. Um, and they've just gone back there just to Hang gratuitously <laughs> take advantage of this building. Yeah. It's very lovely from the inside as well. Um, and when he's unmasked in the TV show, he um, there's like a cinema in the building. And <laughs> Franklin Clark just goes on the run, basically goes into the auditorium of the cinema. Mm-hmm. And just like... He just hides. And he hides behind a chair. And all the police... There's like three police officers and they like chase him in. And then this is like a very slow chase where... <laughs> he just <laughs> runs out again. <laughs> they go over some of the seats and then they run out, but it's... You can it's see just... him peeking out from behind yeah. all the chair seats. It's just... I don't know. I don't want to slag off the TV show because I do it like the TV silly. show. But it's like not... I'm not sure it's the, the 
um, fast-paced, um, exciting ending. It's actually... Oh, I suppose I can't talk about it, but it's like one. Of, it's like the ending of Roger Ackroyd. They put in the ending. They they added like a chase scene into the show. <laughs> right. We haven't watched that one. I don't. No, think. I haven't seen it. It's good. Um, but they <laughs> add a chase scene where the culprit, who I won't name, um, mm. just takes off and gets chased around Roger Ackroyd's old factory. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it just feels really gratuitous, and because the chase around the cinema, for example, it's it's just not that exciting. So no. it's like, okay, like there are some like guys like running over cinema seats, but it's just not. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, yeah, so it happens. It's a bit of fun. Um, and throughout the book, there is this tension between Hastings and Poirot, where Hastings is really keen on clues. Yeah, that's that's always the case, though. Poirot's like really down on detectiving mm-hmm. when it involves clues like physical clues because mm. he's like a psychological guy I think it's just because he's lazy to be honest you just can't be bothered yeah but like in this one well at the end Poirot before like he gets does he get him to confess Clark to confess no I, I don't remember yeah but he, he's, before he unmasks he's Clark, like it he, was you Clark he says, and what's I'm... more I found your fingerprints yeah. on the typewriter yeah which is, it turns out is not true. Not true. <laughs> he just made but it up. He just added in for for Hastings because yeah. Hastings likes a clue. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's like this whole trope of inventing evidence that's not real in yeah. order to try and extract confessions from people. Mm. Something which I recently just learned is a, is illegal. Dodgy in this police methods. <laughs> yeah, but obviously Poirot's not the police, so no, no he's not. But he still shouldn't do it. He still shouldn't really do it because it's very unethical. It has apparently it's been done before in cases where it's led to false confessions and yeah, stuff. Yeah, of course it has. Yeah, because it's um yeah. Can you imagine if he'd said that to Cust? Cust would have been like, yeah, oh well, I must have done it. Then. Manipulate yeah, people. you have to be truthful, but he's not. And then we get the um, ending of the book. Yes. And we get Poirot's advice to Donald Fraser that he should just go and marry Megan Fraser. Megan Do- Menning- <laughs> Megan Fraser. Well, she will be Megan Fraser. Megan Fraser. <laughs> Megan Donald. <laughs> Megan Barner. Yeah. 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 And I guess they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in these books, often it is like, well, if you don't want one sister, just mm, you just pair off with just the other. Go with the other one because yeah. there's nobody else around. No. Um. So my main question, especially after watching it, was like, how would you convict Clark rather than Cust? Oh, you couldn't. This is but the thing, isn't look, it? You can't get into the weeds with this because most of them are like that. <laughs> we always get into the weeds. No, this one's more like that than the others. There's no physical evidence. There's no evidence. There's never any physical evidence. But there's like no evidence at all because it all relies on just this psychological. There's yeah, nothing. There's nothing at all. Yeah, there's definitely no way you could convict um, Clark over Cust. In I, fact, I, I, I think Cust could... would be taken down for sure. Yeah, well, I think he'd still have a pretty good chance of. Because he's you got an alibi so? for one of them. Oh, yeah, he's got the alibi. Yeah. But it's only for one. Yeah. I think it's it's obvious. It's more obvious in this one because Cust. There's all this evidence against Cust, so it makes you think like, oh, well, yeah, they'd yeah. never be able to get True. Clark instead of Cust because, like, there's just loads and loads of evidence stacked yeah. up against Cust. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's that one alibi, but it's just like that's just one guy. You could just yeah like, against that say, they like find him with a bloody dagger. Well, and, yeah, I mean, know, like, um, he's got this typewriter the and a fake job. People and... like witnesses like are, like, always getting dates wrong and stuff, mm. I think. 
Do you think it's guessable? Because kind I, of. Um, did you guess what was going on? Because I well, I, I was like, it. no, there's no way it's going to be this cussed guy. Like, yeah, this, it's so obvious. It's not yeah, it's, yeah, it wouldn't be told to you if it was. So it's like, well, it's going to be one of the gang. And Carmichael Clark was obviously the guy with the money, so it was yeah. most but likely going to be linked to him. did you think that when you were reading it? I'm yeah. just curious. Yeah, yeah it's because... immediately like, oh, okay, so this is a rich one, right? Yeah, so this is a, a rich guy with inheritance, a sick wife, and like <clears throat> uh, a secretary who's beautiful. Yeah. Like, it's so obvious that it's that one. Yeah, I t- I f- it's kind of guessable. I, I don't think you can totally say, or I wouldn't say, because it could easily be Thora Grey was implicated in something. She's tied into the money as well. Yeah, and also the other ones do have things about them, like the Barnard murder is yeah, like, like jealousy. There's and jealousy stuff. and lovers yeah. jealousy, and then there's um, in the other one there's like the husband, even though that that's obviously not the reason. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think there are candidates for it, but it's quite clear that you're never really supposed to suspect that it, that Cust is going to be the final murderer. Yeah, I think that, but I was curious about whether you, you identified the Churston murder as being the, the, oh, the yeah, main definitely. one. Um, I can't comment because I'd seen the TV show. Mm. Yeah, so um, the setting of this is different because normally you just get one setting. Yes, yeah. The murder on the links, they get around a bit. But, um, Do they? Yeah, they go to London for a bit. I've forgotten that. Yeah. But normally they have one setting. Yes. And do. and they don't stray from it. Whereas this is like a linear plot where you go around the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you also meet the characters as you go along, whereas normally you meet all the characters at the beginning. And then the murder happens. Yeah. yeah. So it's retrospective. You, you don't meet Franklin Clark until he's done the murder. No. Yeah. So you it's don't quite meet different. Franklin Clark until he's done the third murder. Yeah. He's and done two murders before you meet him. Oh yeah, of course. Sorry, I mean the Chester murder. Yeah, He's yeah. in the Chester murder. Um, yeah, so it's 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 very different. Mm. But yeah, you go to all these different places like Doncaster and Andover. It's quite fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a digression from um, her traditional um, type of novel, which is interesting. Probably very influential. I I don't personally know a huge amount about that, but I think it's different. It's it's different, but it's not different. Because it's we we she, well actually it. it's it's a serial killer thing, but she actually re- she does take a um you know the closed circle yeah a murder mystery and like force that on top of it yeah because that's what the special league is like yeah. creating a fake closed community like circle of yeah. suspects to mm. draw from um it, it's clever though because it's like half and half because that means it is kind of like a traditional whodunit because mm. it does initially like it does In eventually the of a serial pretty, killer it's pretty clear that it's one of those people it functions almost more like a thriller than a um, yeah or like novel. an adventure story yeah so. it's got to me it's more linear so when we watch TV shows with so when we watch like TV shows or films that are like crime mm-hmm. and I read sometimes modern crime books mm-hmm. right they're often more linear yeah. they're not like Agatha Christie where you've got strands coming out in all directions at the start and they simultaneously develop yeah. and then they resolve at the end. They are often, nowadays, I think a lot of them are crime thrillers where they start, they have a linear story and you kind of go to different places on mm. the way mm-hmm. and you investigate mm-hmm. a, a particular lead and then that lead closes and then you go on to the, like the killing. Yeah, because we watched this the, is like the killing recently. Well, this is like that, but it's also kind of like the other two. I think it's like that, except you don't drop the people as you move along. 
they just come along they with continue you for yeah the they ride. come along for That's the ride the yeah yeah um the, the the structure of modern crime novels i think is often quite different from these who does oh yeah very much um, so they they're very different so it feels it does have that closed sense of contained whodunit. Mm. Um, mm. Would you say it's a whodunit? Um, yeah. I think yeah, the I'd thing the thing for me though is that I don't like it as much as the normal Agatha Christie's. No, and I this don't is think the it's reason. Quite as fun. It's not as fun because I like the whole closed community where you meet everyone, then the murder happens, then we investigate all of the leads on one go. Yeah, and you kind of know that everything's going to fit together, whereas it doesn't really have to in this, because you just yeah. sort of move through you the story. You know pretty well that a lot of this is just random murders. I don't know. I Like I said, I struggle to remember it, and I think it's just not set my world on fire, really. No, I wasn't hugely keen on it either. Yeah. Um, I think it's reputation slightly... Um, Outsized. Yeah. I think. In this case. But we never say that, so you know we have to give we like some it. critique in order to give. Yeah, I know it's difficult. Think you don't want to slag it off because I love Agatha Christie's novels. <clears throat> I think they're all great, mm. and there are things about it that I like. Like I like Cust. I think it's well drawn and stuff. I I think it's a good. I like the concept of the suggestible. Oh yeah, yeah, no, red I, herring I like person. Good. I think yeah. that's clever. Um, it's just personally I like that who done it with the closed community. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, so there's been a few TV adaptations of this. Have there been film adaptations as well? Should I look it up? I reckon there might have been a use enough film of this one. I think there has been a film because I feel like I've read that. Hang on. So it says there's a film with Tony Randall as Hercule Poirot in 1965 called The Alphabet Murders. Oh. I don't like that name yeah. as much. Um, well. We watched the David Suchet one a couple of days ago. Yeah, so the David Suchet one is listed, and also the the one that was um, John Malkovich, right? Yeah. So you've seen so the John Malkovich one. When was that? Twenty sixteen. Something. Twenty eighteen. It says here. Eighteen. Right, because I remember talking to you about it because you watched it. Mm. Oh well, well, I didn't watch all of it. It was many episodes. I don't know. Three or four. I think it's like a mini series yeah. over Christmas. Yeah. Right, so this was all a big deal, wasn't it? Because it was like, was it a BBC miniseries? Yeah, at the time they were doing like a high-budget Agatha Christie adaptation each year at Christmas. Yeah, they were. Because that's them... when they did that... Um, and then there were none. Then there were none. That, that was good. Yeah. I liked that. Um, and then they did one with Bill Nye. Yeah. And I, I didn't really like it. Right. And then they did one with... Um, with What's he called? I don't know. Toby Jones. Oh, right, yeah. Him. And Kim Cattrall. And that one was all right. Mm. It was fine. Well, anyway, this and one... And then they did this one, and I didn't watch it because I didn't... I just... You know what? I just kind of thought, you know, I have seen so many Poirot adaptations, like, I just don't know if I need another one. And... Well, you did well to swerve this one. <laughs> um, it was very weird. Yeah. Um, Jack dies in it at the beginning for some Jack is Yeah, but there. I told you that the other day. Yeah, You've forgotten I'd that. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Yeah. But, you know... Because we were reading about it. What if we made it? a borrow where Jack died? We won't just not include him. We'll just kill him. Yeah, uh, John Malkovich is Poirot and, like, he has... The, it makes a big thing of the hair dye because his hair dye keeps washing out. You'd watched it at the time and I remember that we discussed it because at the time you'd not read any Poirots yeah. and you'd not watched David Suchet either and I remember being, like, always trying to convince you you need to watch them. Mm. You need to read them. You need to watch them. They're good. 
And um, you unfortunately you'd you'd used up some of your actual hard earned time to watch this thing that I was thinking probably wouldn't be that good. And and that made you kind of like a little bit anti Poirot for a bit. Mm, this it wasn't. Yeah. I, I didn't like it. The, Maybe other people. Who did. was you know, Rupert Grint? Who did he play? Rupert Grint was Inspector Chrome. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can kind of see that. So I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't think that's very appropriate, Mister Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, there were a lot of changes, and they list them on the wiki for some. Are clearly written by someone with a bee in their bonnet about this. Oh, of this adaptation. Captain Hastings is omitted from the plot. Yeah. Jack, Jack is dead. <laughs> Jack dies from a heart attack. <laughs> At the start. Um, yeah, I remember, they go to says, his funeral. It says, and this this is bizarre, it says his Poirot's background is, is a kind of part of the story and that he was a priest before the war. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, there's quite a lot of poetic <laughs> license there. Can you imagine Poirot being a priest? Like, he's not like that. He's very judgmental. <laughs> I suppose, but he's also really into, like, the finer things in life and stuff. Like, he's not, like, austere or anything. Um, and also, the apparently, it's more like a vendetta against Poirot in that because they make it so that the <clears throat> places where the murders take place are, like, linked with Poirot's, like, life. Right. So, like, he, it says, he helped deliver him. <laughs> He helped deliver a baby when I <laughs> can't even. Apparently, Jeez, helped deliver uh... a baby on a refugee train that stopped in Andover. Oh, Can you imagine Poirot of delivering all a baby? Of the people in these books, I would want to deliver my baby. Poirot would not be one of them. Poirot, who is obsessed with being clean. Poirot, <laughs> who hates mess. Like. Yeah. I just can't imagine Poirot, like, getting down on the floor and, like, delivering a baby on a train. No. But maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe <laughs> he would do that in on the right circumstances. In the right circumstances, he would step up. Yeah. Maybe. Um, yeah. So that's what he did in Andover. Yeah, he just attended the cafe and attended a party at the Clark House. So... <laughs> <sighs> and well, it, it says that more care is taken in Doncaster about the murder. So it's not just the cinema. It's like the killer wants to murder a ventriloquist, but <laughs> kill someone else. So you kill the dummy instead. <laughs> We're just like slating. And like you've seen one episode like five or six years ago and I've never seen it. <laughs> Maybe it was really good. Mm, I don't think uh, the reason I'll tell you why the reason I swerved it was. Because all of the... Um, all of the stuff in the press about it was like, it's going to be really dark and serious. Mm. And like, it's going to be really like gritty and stuff. And I was like, I don't like the sound of that. Mm. Well, in the Suchet one that we watched uh, the other day, um, the guy who played Cust was really good in it. Yes, he's really good. Oh, can I just say that in the in the Markovich version, um, they, they did E as well. Oh, did he? Where was <laughs> that then? It doesn't say. It doesn't say. Um, and Thora Gray is Franklin Clark's accomplice, it says. Right. Why would she be his accomplice? And then it says 
Franklin Clark claims prior to his execution that he committed the crimes to give Poirot a new cause to live for, considering them friends. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I I don't understand that. Yeah. But we have got to say, like, we have not watched that, so we don't really have a right to be slating it. I say that it sounds awful, and I'm glad I stopped after episode one. Yeah, it's, it doesn't sound good to me. I can't believe they went up to E. Yeah. That means he did two extraneous murders at the end mm. for no reason. Yeah. There you go. In <sighs> the David Suchet one, isn't it was made in 1992. Yeah, so fairly early for It's an early ones, one, yeah. yeah. So I think some of the early ones are not quite as good as some of the later ones, but mm. I also think it dipped a bit at the end of its run. Yeah. So I think the sort of peak time is like the early noughties. There's some... Yeah. They made some really good ones in the early noughties. Mm-hmm. So this one is like a lot earlier and it's it's good. I enjoyed it more than the book, I'll be honest. Yeah, it was it was a decent adaptation. The guy gave a good performance as Cust. Cust's really good, isn't Should it? Should we name track him? Donald Sumpter. Is that his name? The guy, okay, yeah. He yeah. was in like, you said he was in Game of Thrones yes, and stuff. He He's in loads of stuff. Yeah, loads of stuff. There's a really nice storyline in this where there's a crocodile. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Um, Hastings brings a, a, a really a nasty stuffed... You say it's a caiman, yeah. He says it's a caiman. Yeah, he keeps saying it's... I don't know what it's, it's a caiman. It's a caiman. I shot him. It's a different thing from a crocodile. It's a small croco. Okay. But it's really unpleasant. Small, like, but twice as vicious. Hastings gives it to Poirot as a present. Yeah. It's really nasty. It's yeah. enormous. Poirot for one obviously thing. hates it. It's like the length of like a sofa yeah. or something. There's like it's... a there's like a running joke that Hastings keeps trying to tell it's... the story of how he shot it. Yeah, no one wants to hear it. Time. And it smells. Apparently, yeah. it smells. And he just like sprays Poirot's cologne on it to try and stop <laughs> it from smelling. But then if there's a payoff at the end when Cust comes round and it's then like, what is that magnificent yeah. creature? Yeah, Cust loves it. And then, obviously, Hastings gets to tell this story, which begins like... I don't it? mind yeah. telling you the humidity was unbearable. <laughs> yeah, so he... Yeah, it's Jack good. and Hastings go through the door like Homer Simpson going into that hedge. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I like things like that, but I, I don't know why. They're just cosy, aren't they? Mm. I like to see Cust enjoying himself, because he has a yeah, tough time. He never has any fun, does he? Yeah. It's really tough. Um, and and it's nice to Although know that he, he did like, get off in like the, the end. In that one, he gets. Off, we find that he has got off in the end. Yes, correct. like he's not being convicted. You find that in the book. Yeah, you do because he has. Yeah. But it doesn't. There's no crocodile. Yeah, but there's the thing about the newspaper and selling. A oh story. yeah, there is. Yeah. yeah, so he gets to sell a story because it's such an amazing mm. story. So mm. he gets paid five hundred pounds or something. Yeah, I think it films well because of the change of structure. Yeah, reasonably. Well. I I enjoy. I, I think I, I enjoyed I would it. Would still rather watch. A normal one. one. Yeah, I I agree. I I agree. But I think it's... Because it's more of a thriller, Mm -hmm. I think it works well on the TV, to be honest. And I think Cust is quite an interesting character. So it gets sort of like (laughs) you focus more on him because there's no element of whodunit. So it's just... Mm -hmm. I think it it works better as a TV show than it does for me as a book. I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, it's good, yeah. Yeah. And they do reproduce a lot of the banter. They do, indeed. Which is very important. It's very important. Um, yeah, so what would your final verdict be? Um, I, I would say that it's it's okay. I wouldn't... Re- I, you know, if someone was to come to me and say, 
I want to read a Poirot, what would you recommend? I wouldn't recommend this one. No. Um, no, I wouldn't recommend it. I, I mean, I wouldn't not recommend it. I wouldn't say, like, don't read it. Mm. I'd say, like, maybe don't read this as, like, top, yeah, it's not top we've, tier. we've read some that are actually quite bad. And I don't think it's like that. It's just not, like, Which as one much... Which one are thinking? Appointment with Death. Um, um, I, I read... When I read Appointment with Death, yeah. I quite liked I, it. I preferred this to I, that, I, um... But... Well, I recently read, um... Um, Elephants Can't... Elephants can't remember. Elephants can remember. Elephants can remember. Um, and I I really didn't like mm. it. It's a weak one. This one I would give, I don't know, a 6 out of 10. Yeah, it's alright. Yeah. Like, yeah. maybe a 5, I don't know. If the bottom was like, elephants can remember and the top is like, murder on that links or something, I'd... I'd... <laughs> That's not the top. <laughs> What's the top then? I don't know, murder in Mesopotamia maybe. Oh yeah, murder in Mesopotamia. I would put... Um, or like Hercule Poirot's Christmas. That's not at the top. I loved Hercule Poirot's Christmas. Um, I would probably put ABC like low to middle. Yeah, agree. Maybe four or five. Um, it's all right. It's fine. And uh, it works, with... and it's definitely different. And I, to be honest, like I'm not surprised she wanted to write some different ones. Oh yeah, no, it's like... understandable, and it's good that she did. You got to try these things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd recommend people read it, but I just wouldn't put it top tier. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely different. But the thing we haven't actually acknowledged is that everyone other than us seems to think it's amazing. Do they? Well, all the reviews that I read on the Wikipedia page, like the contemporary reviews from the the journalism of the time, was like mm. extremely positive about yeah, it. Well, maybe and, it's... Well, though, I mean, they're just a set few. But I think it would have said if, if it was like... Because they tend... I don't know who writes the wiki entries, mm-hmm. but the um, they tend to take an approach where they'll sort of summarise what the general f- feeling mm. about this book was. And um, it seems like the feeling for this one was really positive. And there was a review that actually said, like, this is the best thing since Roger Ackroyd. And well, there you go. So people clearly really <laughs> liked it. And I also think it's one that people... Um, know about and it come back to and stuff a lot. It's mentioned a lot. Yeah, but it's it's got a very catchy title. I, I think that does a lot for I it. I also to be think that the fact that it's different and it's got some gimmicks in it, like that, are quite like memorable. So the like the ABC guide and like the the alphabetical sequence thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes it quite memorable. So I think that's probably why people think about it and mem- remember yeah, I agree. it and stuff. I agree. Um, so I think, yeah, it definitely has things in its favour, but it's just, it. I like a classic whodunit and it takes a little bit away to, mm-hmm. to take it away from that, yeah, in my sure. opinion. Yeah, so should we wrap? Yeah. Great, well, um, thank you very much for joining us again. Yeah. We will be back again with another story again. Um, if you're interested in hearing more about the podcast, um, you can follow my Instagram, at crimefictioncasebook. Uh, that's where I put everything about updates and stuff. Yeah, and you really also good. put good stuff up there, like little put, blog entries. I and also things. blog about the books that I'm reading and stuff. Uh, so give me a follow at Crime Fiction Casebook. Okay, thanks very much for listening. Thank you and, very uh, much. Speak to you again speak soon. Speak again. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to the Crime Fiction Casebook Podcast. The episode was written, produced, and researched by Bridget Coulter and James Wilson. The theme music was also composed, performed, and recorded by Bridget Coulter and James Wilson. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the podcast and follow me on Instagram at Crime Fiction Casebook for updates about the show. To donate, visit ko-fi.com slash crimefictioncasebook. That's ko-fi.com slash crimefictioncasebook, all one word. Once again, thanks very much for listening and keep an eye out for the next episode. Goodbye.